Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on Fridays in May, each film touches upon Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or the Hard Way to Enlightenment and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie at NortonSimon.org. You have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from Alleist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes, too, when you donate now at laist.com slash sweeps. Elias Studios. From Elias Studios, this is How to LA. I'm Evan Jacoby, one of the producers on the team. You'll hear from Brian a little later in the episode for reasons that'll become clear in just a little bit. You might remember a couple months back, we did an episode on AI. You take a whole bunch of data, you feed it into the computer, and you say, computer, make a model. And the computer says, okay. And the model... We talked about what it can and can't do. Use that model to make predictions. It's not smart, it's not intelligent, it's not, you know, conscious in any way. All it's doing is reflecting back the patterns that exist in that data. And how questions about AI displacing human labor tomorrow are shaping labor strikes today. AI does not have the trauma, the joy, or the lived experience to create any of these stories that we are honoring tonight. If you haven't heard that episode yet, now might be a good time to listen. But to summarize, The experts we spoke to told us AI isn't going to be writing the next Academy Award-winning screenplay anytime soon. I look at what ChatGPT generates and I think, oh my god, that is so boring. But that conversation kind of got me thinking. We don't write screenplays. We write nonfiction. What can AI do now when it comes to things like journalism. I asked ChatGPT, a chatbot, or generative language model as the cool kids call it, to give me some examples of news headlines for a major Los Angeles news event that never happened. Los Angeles introduces revolutionary rapid transit system. Within seconds, it spat out about a dozen options to choose from. Extinct species found alive in Griffith Park. I put on my editor hat and asked it to give me a summary of one of those options. Sure, let's delve deeper into this intriguing news story. After a bit of a back and forth, I asked for a list of sources. Then I asked for a script. As Los Angeles grapples with increasing urban sprawl, What it gave me felt like a How to LA episode from some alternate dimension. There were interviews with experts, historians, even everyday Angelinos, all fabricated about this fake story. So I took the next step and used another tool called Eleven Labs to create some artificial voices trained on real voices from our newsroom. Also, my mom. Testing, testing. I'm Brian De Los Santos. After some tweaks, beep, boop, beep, beep. I am a robot. We ended up with an episode of How to LA, written by AI and voice acted by AI, about the shocking news in Los Angeles that has the whole country watching, but never really happened. 
I feel like this experiment does a pretty good job demonstrating how powerful these tools can be for creating disinformation, and it also highlights a lot of the big questions surrounding AI. Questions about the law, questions about displacing human labor. So what we're going to do here today is we're going to play an excerpt of this experiment for you. And then stick around, because we've got experts in software engineering and ethics and law to join us to talk about what this experiment means for us. ChatGPT says, oh, this is a lawsuit accusing him of fraud and embezzlement. And it turns out that's just completely false. As writers, as consumers of the media, and really as a society. We are sort of transferring our knowledge to it. And when we get displaced, people start to realize, oh, this is real. As a final disclaimer, just to be super duper clear, the story you're about to hear is entirely fabricated by AI. The sources aren't real. Their voices aren't real. The news isn't real. If you want to skip ahead to the discussion with the experts, that'll be in about six minutes. And if you do want to hear the full AI episode, we'll have it embedded in our post over on las.com slash howtola, also in the show notes. All right, here we go. Welcome to another episode of How to LA. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. Picture this. You're standing on the Santa Monica Pier, watching the sun dip below the horizon over the Pacific. The Ferris wheel lights begin to twinkle, and something catches your eye. A new silhouette on the horizon. It's not a ship. It's not a mirage. It's Los Angeles' most ambitious project yet. An artificial island. In a bold response to the city's housing crisis, Los Angeles is set to construct an artificial island off its coast. That's right. An artificial island right off the coast of L.A. A response to the city's housing crisis, a testament to human innovation, and possibly a model for future urban expansion. But... What led us to this point? What does it mean for LA and what does it mean for us, its residents? Today, we'll dive into all of this, talking to experts and stakeholders in a bid to understand the future of urban expansion. But before we get to the island, we need to understand why we're here. Let's rewind. Los Angeles has been growing fast. From a sleepy pueblo to a sprawling metropolis of nearly four million in what feels like the blink of an eye. The city of Angels has seen exponential growth since the late 19th century. It's become a global center for culture, technology, and trade, attracting millions. That's Dr. Maria Gutierrez, a historian specializing in urban development. With this growth, we've seen an increasing demand for housing, skyrocketing prices, and an expansion that's reaching its limits. So, facing a growing population, skyrocketing housing prices, and an ever-diminishing supply of land, what does a city do? LA's answer was to look beyond the boundaries of its coastline and tap into the vast expanse of the Pacific. An artificial island, an extension of the city itself. The promise? More housing, more jobs, more space. The challenge? Well, they're going to build an island from scratch. Quite a leap, isn't it? But how do we get from a city bursting at its seams to building an island in the middle of the ocean? How does a city even begin to build an island in the middle of the Pacific? 
Let's dive right into the fascinating mechanics of it. We reached out to Susan Martinez, the lead engineer of the Artificial Island Project. She gave us a glimpse into the intricacies and challenges of bringing this audacious plan to life. Well, the first thing to remember is that we're not just piling up sand and hoping it sticks together. This is a massive undertaking that involves cutting-edge technology, AI-assisted designs, and an incredibly talented team of engineers and environmental scientists. Susan explained that the design of the island needed to be not just functional, but also sustainable. From the very beginning, eco-friendly materials and renewable energy sources were an integral part of the plan. We are building a community, not just an island. We're integrating residential, commercial, and green spaces in a way that promotes sustainability. We're harnessing wind and solar energy using advanced waste management systems and even planning for self-sustaining agriculture. Within the island, we're encouraging cycling and walking with a layout designed to reduce the need for personal vehicles. We've begun to understand why and how Los Angeles is building its own artificial island. But as we wade into deeper waters, Let's unpack what this all really means, not just for our environment, but for our society and us, you know, the everyday folks that call L.A. home. So let's switch gears and chat about what this mega project means for Mother Nature. Projects like this always carry environmental implications. The construction process could disrupt marine ecosystems. Dr. James Kendall, a marine biologist and environmental policy researcher at UC Berkeley, spoke about the need for sustainable practices beyond the construction phase. Building an island is one thing, making it sustainable is another. I've looked into the plans, renewable energy sources, waste management systems, green spaces. It's all commendable, provided it's implemented as planned. The island has the potential to be a model for sustainable urban living, but the execution must match the intent. Okay, human Evan here. I'm going to go ahead and stop the AI-generated story there for now. It honestly gets a little repetitive after this point, but if you do want to check out the whole thing, remember it is available over on LAS.com slash HowToLA. Before we get into the how and the why and all of that unpacking, which we're going to do, I do want to play you the outro, because I think this is the part that the AI actually got best. But an island is more than just its buildings and its environment. It's its people. What about the people who might call this island home? So we hit the streets, asking locals what they think about our future. Floating neighbor. Hey there, I'm uh, Miguel Rodriguez. I live in East L.A. This new island, huh? It could be cool. I mean, if it helps with the housing situation, I'm all for it. I just hope they think about regular folks like us when they're planning who gets to live there. Hi, I'm Lucy Chen, and I'm from Koreatown. About the island project, I'm worried about the environmental impact, but I'm also excited to see how it turns out. It's a big step, and if it's done right, it could be really positive for L.A., And that's where we'll leave it for today's episode of How to L.A. An artificial island is rising off the coast of our city, a testament to human ingenuity, a potential solution to our housing crisis, and a challenge to our commitments to the environment and social equity. 
It's a project that poses more questions than it answers. How will it change our cityscape, our skyline, our identity, and how will we as Angelinos change with it? These are the questions we'll continue to ask as we watch this island rise brick by brick, story by story. But our conversation doesn't end here. Join us online at howtola.com, where we'll keep the discussion going. Share your thoughts on the artificial island and what it means for our city. We want to hear from you because at the end of the day, LA is not just a place, it's a story, our story, and every voice counts. This has been How to LA. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos, reminding you that every day is a good day to love LA. Wow. All right, everyone, this is Human Brian here. So my reaction is, first of all, I don't sound like that. This robot sounds way more clear, but that's going to take some unpacking to do, okay? So stick around after the short break and we'll dive right into it. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Now, rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. LAist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com slash events. And we are back with How to Lace episode on AI-generated news. And we should say we're back as humans. Yes. It's only going to be human voices from here on out, FYI. So that was a gag, just listening to this version of myself, the AI version, this robot. You were also voiced in, in this, you know, fake news story. When you were putting this together, what was it? Were you laughing? What was your emotions? Like, I was laughing as I was hearing this because I'm like, this guy is so good. Like, I want to be like him. But it is me, no? <laughs> no, it's funny. And especially when it sounded like really good, like uh, the tool lets you sort of tweak the variability of the voice. So sometimes if you put it at like 90% accuracy, it's going to sound super robotic and kind of boring. Um, but if you put it at like 10%, then it'll throw in like ums and weird breaths and stuff like that. And you're like, wait, hold on a second. Like this sounds kind of human. So Evan, you've been my producer for a few months now. Uh-oh. And so you've cut my tape. You've heard the ums. You've heard where how I stumble. How close is it to the clean version that people hear on this podcast <laughs> versus to this AI version that was pretty clear and i'm like oh my god he sounds kind of hot (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) okay so some credit where credit is due yes you you are a good host 
and the AI voice is not as clean as it sounds in post because mm. I was doing a lot of the same sort of things. Like when we're editing real human tape, you sometimes need to take a sentence and delete a couple of words or take a word that somebody said three times and use different parts of it to make it sound smooth because something weird happened to the microphone. Um, and we're doing a lot of the same sort of cleaning work. We'll have more descriptions of that in our post online. But yeah, I mean, it was not totally smooth sailing now that we had the AI voice instead. Okay, that makes me a little bit more confident here. But I do want to turn the focus a bit to the AI-generated story itself. We are being totally transparent about our process creating this fake story. We told you it wasn't true. We told you the guests were made up. But what if we didn't? What if we wanted you to believe? The news it was telling was pretty believable, right? Um, of course, this fake island, I don't know if we LA City has that money, but it is, you know, there was experts on there. Well, I guess where I'm going with this is these tools can be pretty good at creating and spreading disinformation. That's problematic because if it's pretty much designed to deceive you, <laughs> not communicate with humans, but actually mimic them, then it is going to be potentially used as fakes or create confusion. This is Alka Roy. I am the founder of RI Labs and the Responsible Innovation Project. Alka spends a lot of her time thinking about these technologies and how they impact humans and society in the workforce. Yeah, you know, kind of think of like when you bring in an intern or a new employee, you know, you kind of teach them and they get better and better. And if they're really good and savvy, eventually you work for them. <laughs> we played our AI-generated story for Welcome her to another episode of How to and asked her what she thought. How will it reshape our city's demographic? It's really funny because it's like two parts of my brain are going off. One is a designer, an engineer who's saying, oh, you know, you really could make it better. The other part saying, even after you told me that was AI generated sounds, you know, they're so visceral. So, Brian, hmm. Alka had this example. Let's try it together. Imagine someone you're really close to watching you in a fake video. Doing something troubling or vile. You're running down the street oh! naked. Punching car windows and swearing at puppies. I hate your floppy ears. Even if you say, oh, okay, well, maybe it's not true. There's a visual image in people's brains watching you do or say that thing. So even once your friend knows that you didn't do that thing? It lingers. The subtle psychological impact cannot be dislodged. This is where we get to the real dangers of these kinds of tools, right? Alka's saying, even though your friend knows you didn't punch that car window or scream at that puppy, the experience of seeing it or hearing it sticks. Now, what if political rivals started using AI-generated content to manipulate the hearts of the public? Okay, so we've got the threat of job displacement, the risks of spreading misinformation. Are we breaking any laws here with our experiment? Well, uh, 
whenever people ask, have I broken any law? My answer is there are a lot of laws out there. So we need to look carefully at all the details. This is Eugene Bollock. And I'm a law professor at UCLA Law School. I specialize in, among other things, uh, law and technology. So I'm a huge Beyonce fan, and someone on Twitter or TikTok posted this AI-generated rap. And that for a hot second, I'm like, wow, Beyonce just released a new rap, you know, in the middle of her Renaissance tour. There's also a fake Drake TikTok. A whole commotion was happening around Nancy Pelosi when she was going to step down as speaker. I saw right-wing trolls making videos of this so-called drunk Nancy Pelosi that people believed. So what are the laws here when it comes to this kind of a misinformation? I mean, is it misinformation if someone takes someone's voice, makes it into a song, or creates a video based on someone's image and makes them appear a certain way? Or is it just kind of like the Wild West of the internet? So that's actually a complicated question. If you're using people's voices in a way that represents that this is what they're saying, depending on the circumstances, it might be libelous. Imagine you generate something with my voice in which I'm saying, I embezzled from the law school and I'm glad, 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 right? That would be libelous because it's conveying a false message about me. On the other hand, if you start with saying, all these voices are impersonated, then probably it's okay to use it, especially if you repeat it enough times that it's clear that somebody who's listening even to a snippet would understand that this is not a factual assertion. But uh, let's, let's say there's no AI, there's no chat GPT. Somebody creates a false statement. Is that illegal? Well, it depends. Certainly there have long been parodies including parodies of politicians, probably including Nancy Pelosi and including Donald Trump and including all sorts of politicians. And if a reasonable person would recognize this as parody, then in that case, that's not treated as falsehood. It's treated as fiction. Eugene says flagging your AI-generated content as fiction or parody isn't the only way to get out of legal trouble. If somebody is saying something that's false, even knowingly false, if they're deliberately lying about the government... Generally speaking, that's fully constitutionally protected, even if it's a lie. That's one of the holdings of that famous New York Times v. Sullivan case, because it's just too dangerous to have the government put people on trial for, say, conspiracy theories. Let's say somebody says, oh, I think 9-11 was an inside job. We leave it not for courts to decide whether that's true or false. We leave it for kind of public discussion and uh, fact checkers and various others. In other words, those kind of statements are protected by the First Amendment, even if they're intentionally false. Likewise, false statements about, for example, history or false statements about social science, whether it uses deep fakes or AI or not, the Supreme Court has said, you know, that's constitutionally protected. I'm curious here, have you seen any cases where AI is a factor into libel, defamation, an individual or a company suing someone who was a creator of that AI? Yes. In fact, there was one that was just filed in Georgia trial court. It involves a lawsuit against OpenAI, the creators of ChatGPT, uh, and it's brought by a man named Mark Walters who says that an online journalist 
ask ChatGPT to summarize another lawsuit, a, a different lawsuit. And ChatGPT says, oh, this is a lawsuit against Mark Walters accusing him of fraud and embezzlement. And it turns out that's just completely false. That's not what that earlier lawsuit was all about. ChatGPT just made up these supposed assertions about Walters, which did not appear in that original complaint. So Walters is suing OpenAI saying, your software published a false and reputation damaging statement about me. Hmm. I think for technical reasons, it's probably not going to succeed, but other lawsuits under similar circumstances might. So let's get back to our experiment. The AI generated story that we played at the top of the episode. One of the things we tried to really keep in mind was even though Evan left the writing and voice acting to the AI, there were still a lot of choices he was making along the way. Right. So the thing is, you're still playing an editorial role. This is Alka again. Even when you don't realize it, you're still being very mindful about what voices you're choosing, what text, which voice do you pick to be which expert. All of those choices that you make create the result. This is actually something that came up for me. So. One of the voices that I used was from my girlfriend. I was going to have her be one of the engineering experts. Um, She was taking a nap when I approached Mm -hmm. her and like stuck a microphone in her face. And so the sample that I got from her didn't really work as an expert. So she became concerned citizen number two instead. So I guess the point is that the top of this episode wasn't really exclusively made by AI. Well, the AI episode that you'll create will be very different than the AI episode that I would create. Because you're going to intuitively use this kind of judgment, even if you don't call it out. You can call it biases or whatever they may be. You have an idea of what certain emotions sound like or where they resonate with your audience or people in general. What text sort of drives things home, what music allows people to listen to it. So you're going to make these little small edits. The other thing is that as out of curiosity, you're doing these things, you are in essence also training the software with your knowledge to be better at anticipating those decisions that you're making right now. We are sort of transferring our knowledge to it. So, so one of the things I ask people is, you know, don't be afraid of AI and AI tools. I mean, technology, there are AI tools and technology, but know that if something is free, be like cautiously curious. Like, what is it really gonna do with what I give it? Where will it use it? Do I want to help it? How does it make its money? Because it's really all of these products have been trained on us and now they're being sold back to us And then it could be used to do the things that we were doing. And when we get displaced, like some copy editors who are getting, you know, displaced or some tech companies are laying off people who they had hired as PR writers, you know, then then people start to realize, oh, this is real. This displacement Alka's describing is kind of the main thing I had in mind when I pitched this episode. 
I was actually kind of scared about how people were going to receive the idea because really you could look at what we made as like a prototype for a much cheaper podcast. And this kind of job displacement is something that a lot of people are genuinely concerned about. But I kind of figured if this technology is here, it's happening. You know, as like a producer of audio content, I kind of want to have my hand in it in some way instead of just waiting for it to happen to me. When we asked Eugene about this, he seemed to believe that the law will probably be in our favor for this one. There's something called a right of publicity, which in this case basically protects you from having your act taken. Historically, this has come up in the context of entertainment, like with Elvis impersonators and the like. You're taking their act and making money off of it in a way that competes with them. So then let's go back to my first question. Did we open ourselves up to any kind of legal exposure? Well, who might sue if you were talking about civil liability? Who's hurt by it? Hmm. So somebody might say, well... I'm hurt just because you've lied to me and now I believed for a while that this fake island was being created. Well, there is no real damage to you. What about somebody who says, I heard this and then I talked about it at a cocktail party and people laughed at me because they said, you fell for for that hoax. That's still not really damage. On the other hand, if you took your podcast and you used it for fundraising, for this island, or if you used it to promote some stock in the company that is uh, supposedly creating this island, well, that would be fraud or it would be false advertising. Uh, Likewise, let's say you use somebody's voice without that person's permission. And let's say, again, it reflected badly on them. Let's say this person didn't get a job afterwards because people had heard this podcast and had thought that this person was in on the hoax. Well, then you can imagine a possible libel lawsuit where this, this person whose voice you're using might say, you know, you said something false about me. That false thing was essentially the implication that I was involved in the making of this audio. And it damaged my reputation because it made me look like a hoaxer. That's possible. I think it would be kind of a stretch. But that's the kind of thinking that you'd have to go through. All right. Where do we go from here? Sure, we've got some legal precedent, but it sounds like a lot of the legal questions are still a little murky. And maybe the technology isn't quite ready to create this information without human involvement, but it seems like wherever this road is taking us, we're moving fast. I think there is definitely a general concern and it's been going on for years. Alka says these kinds of ethical questions are not new to the AI research community. The engineering part, the designer part of me, the business part of me, sees all the use for it and how to improve it. And then the social part of me, the parent, the human who has to actually live with this technology says, well, are we doing the right thing? Or how can we put something in the design of it so that we have some boundaries to to move in the right direction? For example, if there was a norm that anything that's created by these companies that are commercial ought to be labeled, watermarked, that it's AI generated. And that kind of takes us back to why we wanted to make this episode in the first place, right? This new technology is fun. It's scary. And it's an area where there's still a lot of ethical and legal questions to shake out. 
And as journalists and audio producers, maybe we can help inform some of that conversation. I would just say one thing, like leaving it in more of a hopeful note. We could all look very perfect if we all went and got plastic surgery, but what a boring sort of world that would be. So if we made things, you know, being real cooler, hey, she says, um, you know, her voice sounds funny. She kind of has a scratch in her throat. You know, of course, AI can be made to mimic it, right? But, you know, if being human, if we loved ourselves more, <laughs> or sort of messy hair and our uh, imperfections more and realize that that's where lies in imagination and creativity and our uniqueness uh, instead of everything looking so perfect, which is really the realm of the machine. So all in all, how long did it take you? Like hours, work days, dreams and nights? <laughs> um, so full disclosure, we've been talking about this idea for a while. Uh, this particular iteration of it probably took about four hours, maybe a little less. If we're just talking about the script, that might have taken five minutes. Wow. I mean, it doesn't take us four hours to create a really nice compound episode for folks, you know? Um, so <laughs> just saying, and that was pretty quickly on our standard, right? Alrighty, y'all. That is it for this episode. If you want to learn more about the specifics of our experiment, we've got a big old write-up on LAS.com slash HowToLA. Yeah, we've got the whole script on there too, including all the prompts that we used and different settings that we used throughout the process. Check it out. But that's it from us today. And remember, like the AI Brian said, every day is a good day to love LA. I think he said it better, though. <laughs> he said it in a cute way. I think he said it better. All right. This episode was produced by Evan Jacoby. Our other producers are Megan Botel, Victoria Alejandro, and Monica Bushman. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.